This is a Dauntless Media Collective podcast. Visit dauntless.fm for more content. Well, welcome back, everyone. Hope you're having a great summer. We're having a I'm busy having one. A good, yeah, we're having a really busy summer. A good um, one. A good one, but a busy one. It's a good... Yes, it is. Um, I know we, I, we've we already dropped a couple episodes this season, but we sort of just hit the ground running and we didn't even like talk about coming back this season and all of the life updates and things that are going on, um, the stuff that's been happening between the seasons and what we've been up to in the background. Oh man, what we've been up to in the background. So a little personal update on our end. Um, if you're in deconstruction spaces, you'd probably, you probably follow April Ajoy. And if you don't, you should, you should follow her. She puts up hilarious TikToks, uh, but she put up a post because she's moving that says quiz. Is this the worst week of your life or are you just moving? <laughs> and she shared that. And I was like, oh, I feel her so much because we're moving. And to make things more exciting, we're planning a wedding at the same time. So we need to keep it yeah. spicy. I don't, uh, I don't recommend it. Although I do kind of have the feeling that a lot of people who uh, were evangelical or are evangelical and probably got married this. young probably did that. They probably did, the did this. plan a wedding and a move at the Such same time. Such a bad idea. So much stress. It's a terrible idea. What a test idea. of a relationship. <laughs> yeah. You should, you should do one at a time. One move at a time. first, then get married after. But Pace yourself. You know, yeah. This is our our circumstances are are different, so we kind of have no choice. Speaking of personal stuff and a personal update, I had an exciting encounter on Facebook. Speaking of deconstruction and evangelicalism, uh, I actually got um, Moms for Liberty upset at me, and they started commenting. Um, oh shoot, am I going to be able to find the exact quote? Yeah, they here's what they said to me. They basically said, "Gail." Your picture is the exact reason why we will continue to fight parent- for parental rights and children. <laughs> Wait, why? Your your picture? Are you talking are they talking about My what profile your profile picture pic? on Facebook? So, why? Our, pro- <laughs> our profile picture is me and you together. Um, your, we were your profile picture. Mine is was us on vacation and we both have um surf shop. Ah, it's a New Jersey surf surf company. Anyway, yeah, Ron we're, John. Ron John, we both have Ron John shirts that are matching, but mine is blue and yours is like a pink, well, salmon pink, whatever. Okay, those are the colors of our shirts. So like basically, and I think this is where they were going because our profile picture is so boring. Like it's not, I mean, there's nothing in, there's nothing racy or edgy about it. Like literally the only thing it's, I could we're think We're wearing of. sweatshirts. We're wearing sweatshirts. I mean, the, the other thing <laughs> is that... Um, where uh, I'm not a white person. <laughs> I mean, that could be true, too, with Moms for Liberty. Either they're going on about our gender colors being reversed according to them, which is hilarious, because if you know anything about the history of blue and pink, it hasn't. it's only been since the 50s that pink is the girl color and blue is yeah. the boy color. Before that, they were reversed. So, like, it's and before just... Before that, li- babies wore white. Yeah. You could, you could bleach their clothes. But these are like the arbitrary things that like right wing people are getting all in a fervor about and worked up as they're obsessing over like the whole gender binary thing and the need for it to be boy girl and like separated and like you have these gender reveal parties <laughs> with people blowing off things with col- the color pink or blue. It's like this obsession over that thing. So I think that is what they're referencing from the picture. But you're right. It could be it could be a race thing. They're um, they call themselves the Moms for Liberty. In case you're like, who the heck is Moms for Liberty? They're these people who basically during COVID were protesting mass for children in schools and they call themselves the moms for liberty saying parents should be able to make that call and then they changed from anti-maskers to fighting 
anti-woke stuff or fighting wokeness. They're an anti-woke group. I know it, it makes me laugh to just say that. <laughs> yeah. So they're they're an anti-woke really group. I like anti-woke as a title. I think that works for them. Um, but basically, yeah, I, I sleep asleep. <laughs> yeah, they're definitely that. If if you haven't heard of them or if you're curious, you should. I hope you're up to date. Just because they actually have a lot of influence. Um, they've been a part of pushing forward in Florida, the Don't Say Gay bill that went through. Um, so they they are a grassroots movement that have a lot of money backing them all of a sudden. And of course, the right-wing political figures realize how clever it is to have moms as a figurehead in their movement. And basically, check out Straightweight American Jesus. Um, Brad Onishi has done at least two different uh, Moms for Liberty episodes recently. So if you haven't heard of them, you can go find them there. Uh, information on them. But yeah, I, got, I was happy that I kind of <laughs> got that I got under there literally just for our profile picture. So that was um, that was a highlight for me this week. But, you know, speaking of on today's episode, we're kind of kind of going to lean into that. Um, we're going to be talking about stay at home fathers, which really ticks off people who are into this is men's roles. These are women's roles. Guys do this. Women do this. And you don't ever cross those lines. Um, so that's a little bit of a preview of what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah. Um, but before we dive into uh, today's episode, I did want to give a quick update on um, the Dauntless Media Collective that we are a part of. Um, I'm actually really, really excited to make this announcement, um, which if you listen to any Dauntless podcast, you've probably already got a sense for what's going on. But um, if you if you haven't been paying as much attention or you're only listening to our podcast exclusively, um, we're really excited to announce that the Thereafter podcast with Megan Crozier and Cortland Coffee has joined the Dauntless Media Collective. Um, we're we're so pumped. They're such great people. Their podcast is fantastic and they've developed such an amazing community around the conversations that they have um and one of the things that they've been really good at particularly megan is sort of um latching on to community spaces online and really helping people find uh, a sense of home and camaraderie with other folks who are you know ex-evangelicals, survivors of oppressive religious environments. Um, And so um, that's another kind of segue into some stuff that we're doing with the Dauntless Media Collective. Uh, Of course, if you've been listening for any amount of time, you know that we have a Discord server. And uh, if you'd like to hop in on any conversations that we're having or, you know, just give us a shout, we'd be more than happy to have some conversations with you on our Discord server. The links are available. Uh, We'll put a link to the Discord server in our show notes. You can head over to the Dauntless website, dauntless.fm, and um, find links to our Discord server there. And joining the conversation. Honestly, the more the merrier. We have a great time in there. Um, there are chat rooms. We occasionally do some video calls. Of the, we've been sort of dropping the ball on that. So I'd like to pick that up so we can have some uh, some video calls with some like-minded people. Um, and yeah, a whole bunch of stuff is going on in there. So um, hop on in. It's completely free. There's, you know, you don't have to be a Patreon supporter or anything like that in order to to join the Discord server. Speaking of our network of podcasters... Um, in our Discord and our Dauntless Media, uh, I'm actually I'm actually on one of Scott's recent episodes, and he usually does 
on chapel probation, uh, people who've gone to evangelical university. So I'm kind of a bit of an exception. I feel special. Scott just invited me on as a friend to tell a bit of my story. And uh, I don't, I think I gave more of my story on his podcast than I probably have on this podcast, actually. We usually <laughs> yeah, interview, <laughs> interview some guests and I, I don't, I don't think I get into my story too much, mostly because I don't come from like the flagship evangelical schools or mega churches that you do, Nate. So I usually don't have a ton to say about my own experience, but you know, Scott gets me talking and I opened up and gave some of my own history. So if you're interested in hearing some of my own backstory, you or even my deconstruction journey, you could head on over to Chapel Probation and look for me on, on Scott's uh, episodes. Yeah. And I think that's something that that we sort of find out on um, in these spaces, you know, our, our fellow deconstruction podcasters, we often don't get to know the hosts themselves as much, but then we'll find them talking on someone else's podcast. And then we find out their, their story over there. So, um, you know, it's kind of a similar thing. Scott's been on our podcast and told his story um, a little bit more than he has on his own podcast, although because of the the content of his podcast, it sort of allows for him to to drop more about his story. And of course, he wrote a book, so his whole story is in there as well. But um, but yeah, Scott. speaking of Scott, um, he is one of our guests on today's episode. So we're really excited about this episode. It was a fantastic conversation. And uh, I suppose without further ado, let's go ahead and dive in let's to go. our conversation with Rick and Scott. So he's a stay-at-home father. Basically, this man's a housewife, okay? <laughs> he stays at home and writes articles about Vody Bauckham while he's sitting in the bathtub with his essential oils and his glass of wine. And... Uh, <laughs> Well, his wife is probably a doctor in an ER somewhere because a woman would have to be highly educated to marry somebody this stupid. We are back with some uh, some old friends of ours and some, some friends of the show who have uh, been on the podcast in the past, um, one is an old veteran of ours, Scott Okamoto, and another one I haven't heard since the very beginning of the show. Well, actually, no, Rick, we did have a clip uh, that you sent in for a recent episode, but actually, sitting, Asbury. yeah, yeah, but to actually sit down and chat with you for an episode hasn't been since like we started yeah. this thing. So, yeah, back. you're like one of our first guests. That was a lot of fun way back when we started this off. But uh, yeah, I, mean, I was actually just thinking about that uh, uh, the, earlier this week, wondering. I was like, I should probably look into that Asbury thing and see if that revival stuck or not. So yeah, right. <laughs> Pretty sure it changed the world. <laughs> Everything has changed since Asbury revival. I mean, the yeah. whole evangelical world has just turned <laughs> yeah. on its head. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't think it's in the direction that they're implying, but <laughs> yeah, no, probably not. <laughs> oh man! So today we're going to actually be. Um, covering the topic that i mean it, it was on my mind i was i was thinking of you too and uh actually i th was thinking of uh oh is is uh i'm here oh, no. still with us oh, okay. oh you're still, still with us okay you're with us all right good good yeah we, i mean we, i was even thinking of of brad onishi as well and scott and rick all of you guys are stay-at-home dads um i know brad is 
so busy that he, as a stay-at-home dad, he has to prioritize. These are the realities of having to prioritize things. So, but I'm really thankful for both of your time that both of you are willing to come on and have a conversation with us about um, what it's like to be a stay-at-home dad. And um, uh, before we even get into your backgrounds uh, in getting into this, you know, I think maybe that is a good place to start. I w- I'd love to hear like, we give maybe we give each of you a chance to just tell your story of how you ended up in the stay at home dad uh, stay at home dad world. Why don't we start with Rick? So um, yeah, so I, I graduated from Bob Jones University in two thousand four with an unaccredited, you know, an unaccredited university with a Bible degree, and that really didn't get me too many career options. And uh, so for the next twenty years or so. Actually, well, I guess it would have been 15 years. I was in the cleaning industry and was volunteering in church plants or leading worship at a mega church here in town and really had a long-term desire to get into writing and to be employed by a church somewhere. And so, but then eventually I went through the deconstruction process and then when I didn't have that theology anymore, it was like, okay, well then I've really just spent my entire career trying to get a job at a church. And now I don't really have that theology anymore. What do I do? And I had lost so many career opportunities and I had, I had tried to get um, hired, you know, at a, at a job that could pay well for our family, but just wasn't really taken seriously with the lack of resume. And, so in 2019, my cleaning van broke down and I had no money and really didn't know what to do. And so at that time we were thinking and, and we realized, you know, Ruth Ellen has a degree in interior design. Why don't I come home and stay with the kids and she could get an interior design job. And so within a few weeks, she ended up uh, landing an interior design job and I've been here ever since. How old are your kids or how old were they in 2000 and was it nine? You said that or 2019. So the oldest at the time was nine and we had five under the age of nine. Wow. So now they're (laughs) 13 and under 13 down to five. So. So you are a busy stay at home dad. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We we're kind of in a, it's been a weird transition here because we homeschooled all five of them and quickly realized that I'm not really um, gifted at homeschooling five kids. And so we've this year we put two of them in public school, and then this upcoming year we're going to get the other three in. So Wow, that's, that's fun. Fun for the transitions and, yeah. and lightening your load at home. And I'm sure they're, they're, how are they, are they excited, enjoying, enjoying uh, public school? Yeah, they're, they're excited. Um, they're a little nervous, though, but, you know, just because it's a new experience. But we were really nervous with the younger two, and, and the local public schools here really helped them a lot in, in ways that I wasn't gifted in. And so we're, we're feeling pretty good about the other three being able to have a similar experience. I've taken your journey. I homeschooled and then put them in public school and it was a jump, but it was a good one. And they definitely got a lot of support and yeah, relate to that. Um, So yeah. So you're you're still stay at home dad. You're also a writer currently employed by Baptist News Global, if I'm correct. I'm actually a freelance writer. So 
I'm able, I'm free to write for whoever I want, but I found a really good fit with them. So I primarily write with them. Nice. And, and that's totally something to go check out. You've written a lot of articles, mostly dealing with a lot of religious topics. Um, but yeah, very insightful stuff. And yeah, so that is, that's, we're going to ask you more questions, but that's sort of like a snapshot overview of how you got where you are. And how about you, Scott? What is your, your overview? How did you land yourself as a stay-at-home dad? Yeah. Well, first of all, Rick wrote a beautiful article about me <laughs> uh, last week. So I read it. It was a great article. It was wonderful. Um, so I was a I was a English professor, and anyone who's heard my podcast or read my book knows I was teaching at an evangelical university. Um, and actually, yeah, I was I was planning on staying there. You know, I I had carved out a little little spot for myself and for this community of BIPOC and queer students. And, um, but the school found out about all the shenanigans and, um, (laughs) suddenly I realized, oh, I'm not going to be able to stay here. Um, and I had turned down work at other schools, you know, to, to do this. Um, so around 2013, I was hauled in to, account for my sins of being supportive of LGBTQIA students and pushing um, social justice issues in my classes as part of faith integration. And um, I talked my way back into the job only to quit the next morning <laughs> because, <laughs> and and this is this, the point is, my wife is a dentist. And so she was purchasing the family practice and um but at that time I was I had been demoted to back to adjunct so I was no longer a full-time professor so <laughs> she basically said why would you ever want to go back to that place and you know she said it nicely but you know my my adjunct pay was was not super crucial <laughs> for the survival of the family I mean it was going to hurt you know it was I was still making I think I was, I think I had gone down to like $24,000, um, teaching, um, Oof. yeah. In Southern California. Um, Yikes. but luckily we, uh, we have three kids and they're all in public schools. I was never not going to put my kids in public schools. I was like, hell no, I'm not going to pay for school or, and I'm not, <laughs> and, I, and I'm a teacher. There's no way in hell I'm going to educate my kids and I suck at math. So <laughs> I, you know, suddenly, you know, I'm, I'm home. And it was weird. I hadn't, I hadn't not worked since before college. You know, I had, it, it was, and it wasn't that I was, I, we, we're not, we're not complementarian or patriarchal. We were definitely a part. So the shift wasn't super huge for us because I was already a partner in, at home. I was doing laundry and I was, I was cooking more than my wife. Um. So, and I was, and I was driving the kids to school already anyway. Um. Because I could, as a professor, it's a really cushy job. They don't they don't tell you that. <laughs> but <laughs> as far as the hours, you know, it's not cushy in a lot of ways. But you know, you can make your own schedule, and and so I was able to take my kids to preschool or school. But it was getting rough as they got older because I think at that year there, all three kids were at three different schools, and so it was kind of a nightmare trying to figure out how to pick them up and drop them off. And so, yeah, so I found myself at home and. Um, it didn't really hit me until like the following semester when when I would normally have been writing up my syllabi, you know, going to meetings, um, prepping 
for the semester and I was just sitting at home doing laundry <laughs> and uh, making lunch for the kids. And that was all I was doing. Um, so even though I'm not a patriarchal person, I was raised in that. And so it was, it was challenging at first to, to, you know, to accept that, wow, I'm really doing this. I'm staying home. Um, because teaching at an evangelical school, you know, kind of to Rick's point, it's, it's, it's not a super prestigious thing to put on your resume. Um, and so I could have kept teaching at community college, but really, I, you know, three, three young kids at home, I had an opportunity. So I took it as an opportunity to say, I get to, you know, be there every day for my kids and talk to them on the way to and from school and help them with their homework. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how I ended up there. And you touched on this a bit, Scott, about you were raised patriarchal, but I was curious. That was a thought in my head because I don't know. I mean, I'm assuming for Rick, your background, because you went to BJU, but Scott, too, I was <laughs> totally unsure of what it looked like in your family of origin, like a guy staying home with the kids. How did your parents' roles look and how did you making this decision contrast or fit in? Like, how was that? <laughs> you kind of briefly, I guess, got into was patriarchal for you growing up? Yeah, not not like horrifically patriarchal, but you know, my dad worked and my mom stayed at home um, in the suburbs of Southern California. But the one good thing, my mom, you know, I blame my mom for all my deconstruction <laughs> and, and, hmm. and for being kind of against patri patriarchy. Apparently when I was real little, like three or four, um, I, I said something to the effect of men don't cook, boys don't cook. And my mom was greatly offended at that and, and immediately started teaching me and my brother how to cook things. <laughs> Except um, for on the grill. If if, if it becomes no, right. a grill, there are domains. men know how to cook. Yeah, yeah. Then women aren't exactly. allowed to. That's, that is not the women's domain. No, cook fire. <laughs> yeah. yeah, cook with fire. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, I did come from a somewhat patriarchal background. And it's funny, after like a year, pretty much every year, my dad would ask, are you okay? Because <laughs> he was really worried. Because it would have been hell for him. You know, it would have been a complete failure of life and career and identity of his manhood if he had to stay home for any amount of time, you know, and not be the provider. And so he honestly thought I was depressed and, you know, stressing out about getting another job. But, you know, I was in it for the foreseeable future. Until my kids got older, I wasn't going to be able to really do anything career-wise. Yeah, I think for me, it, was, it wasn't it was that I grew up with the opinion that men need to stay home, but it was, I didn't even know that there was an opinion to have. Men just uh -huh. worked while the women stayed home. And that was just, it just was what it was. Yeah. And it wasn't until I got older and began to learn about the complementarian gender roles yeah. and while I agreed with them in theory, because I was a complementarian um, up until about 2016 or so, um, I never really fit into those into that mold, like of what a complementarian male leader is supposed to be. And so, uh, you know, th that when I got the more older I got, the more I began to become familiar with the scripts and the expectations, and it kind of fueled a lot of shame in me for a while because i didn't really measure up to it let's um 
let's let's define complementarianism real quick because that's a buzzword that has gone around in our circles for a number of years now. Um, but I do find it fascinating. I was listening to um, I think a previous episode uh, of your um, of your podcast, Scott, where you were talking with uh, Doctor Julie Ingersoll, I believe. Yeah. Um, and she had um, a very fascinating and and resonant. It kind of reminded me of like it, it made me think of when I first started hearing the term complementarianism get tossed around Christian circles. Um, that's not something that I grew up with. That's as far as I can remember, it's something that sort of popped onto the scene maybe in the late '90s, early 2000s. I what, think so. Yeah. Yeah. What What does what does that mean to you, uh, to you guys, when you hear that term? <laughs> well, there's the definition, which I guess we should say it's. <laughs> yeah, that's the, true. We should define it. <laughs> it signals to me danger and um, <laughs> and not not safe environment for for women, especially, um, or and mm. for men too. Um, so I guess it comes out of this idea that men and women are created differently with different gifts and and proclivities for the house and the home the family so women have prescribed roles and they pick and choose verses out of it and i don't remember what they all are as to you know what women are supposed to be the nurturers and the submissive and the, and the men are supposed to be the leaders and so but there's more than that i, I think i i perused a book <laughs> about this back in the 90s um that kind of outlined some of these things, but there, it's very specific as to what men are okay, you know, because you know men aren't supposed to do things like change diapers because that's emasculating or something. That's <laughs> <laughs> literally what some of them claim. Because I'm a man, you know, oh, you know, it would go against God's plan <laughs> for me to wipe the shit off my kid's ass. So, um, <laughs> which is brilliant because that's not fun. And uh, Rick, Rick knows that's five smart kids. Those guys I to know, write that into books, right? <laughs> So anyway, that's so that's the the, the textbook definition. And Rick, if, I don't know if you have more accurate kind uh, con- of yeah, like like they try to pull from the creation narrative of Adam and Eve as two distinct binary genders, and they pull from Ephesians five where um, husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, and the churches and the wives are supposed to submit to their husbands as the church submits to Christ. And so there's this like the husband is the Jesus figure, which is obviously perfect, and the wife is the obedient one. And you can already tell like there's narratives here mm-hmm. of hierarchy that are being built into this, and it sounds great because it's 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 gospel. It's living out the gospel yeah. and living out the, the, the creation narrative, you know, and, but there's, they're so unaware of the power dynamics involved. Mm. Yeah. I, I remember being at, um, I don't want to sidetrack too much, but when we're defining traits for men and women, I'm so curious, you know, depending on which book, what author, who you're talking to, they have different lists. But I remember being at a a Christian conference that was for counseling, which scares me even more now that I think about it. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm just like, wow, they they were like doing, they're based, they were based in Montreal. Now they're based, I think, in Vermont, um, their headquarters. But they basically were saying like the traits of a man are this and that. And I don't remember them all in detail, but I remember women were supposed to be vulnerable and we women were supposed to be submissive, I believe. And 
Um, and men were supposed to be initiators. <laughs> so like basically the, the dynamics, and I don't remember what the other male traits were, but when you look at them both, I just remember staring at their lists and going, wait, if this is true, consent is absolutely not an option ever. Like this, this list actually sets it up that like the women are supposed to say yes and the men initiate what they want. Yeah. And, and, and I remember seeing like they show throw up an image of a woman um, on a target practice at like a circus. And it was they were trying to show vulnerability, <laughs> but like knives being thrown at her. And I just remember what? thinking like, yeah, it was like, who came up with this? And it was like, but I thought, Not the you women. know, sometimes people, some people, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some people tell on themselves a little bit without intending to just like in the in the ways they're displaying their beliefs. You're sort of like, she's in danger, <laughs> you know, like she's actually in danger in this scenario. And to them, it's just no, it's a picture of vulnerability and submission. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, she's in physical actual danger in this picture um but it's interesting to see and like you know when which verses they have to back it up most of the stuff they were putting up there was really there was nothing to go with it it was just their opinions i mean i don't rick because i know you're much more aware of the complementarian uh calvinist side of things do you remember a quote i'm pretty sure i've seen you throw it up before john piper talking about women and um giving directions to men and how that's offensive or I'm sorry, yeah. she's like, she's not supposed to be, does, is that ringing a bell for you? Yeah. So he wrote, he wrote about the scenario where a woman is, is in her backyard and this man comes into her backyard and he asks her for directions to the interstate. And she, in that moment with the strange man, she's never seen in her backyard uh, she has to be very careful about the way that she gives him directions so as not to demasculate him and not to become come across as the leader <laughs> in this scenario. And I remember yep. it being so absurd like that. Yeah, I'm just and, being like, what? But I think it's, a, it's also a great metaphor here, too, because, like, you know, in this, in this metaphor, the, the man has the vision of where he's going. The man has the calling. I'm going on this trip. And that's like in life. The husband has the vision, the calling, the trip he's going on. And the wife is there, if called upon, to help him in whatever way he can to be his support staff. But she's got to be really careful in how she does it. And so really this whole, this whole construct, it dehumanizes the wife. And it, help, it makes her uh, not be able to live her full life. And then from our perspective as, as men, like I felt a lot of shame because we're supposed to be this perfect Jesus figure. That's, you know, washing our wives with the water of the word and, you know, leading family devotions all the time and speaking doctrine into them. And that's just like, wasn't my personality. And so there was a lot of this shame that I wasn't this perfect Mm. leader in a sense, too. I wasn't Jesus. That's uh, you're not Jesus, right? Come on. What kind of a man are you that Except, you're not Jesus? Well, so I read this wonderful article in something called the Gospel Coalition a couple months ago <laughs> that they takes the, the metaphor up. even further. Is to <laughs> wait? Can we go blue for a second? Can we? Can because uh, it's pretty X-rated. Uh, I was very surprised. Yeah. The complementarianism extends into the sex act as the man ejaculating the Holy Spirit into the woman. <laughs> That uh, I, th- I actually didn't read it. I just read the highlights, but and the Bible uh, is ejaculating the Bible, the Bible too. <laughs> yeah, because the Bible is the seed. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Okay. Well, hey, no, no judgment on anyone's 
kinks needs or, to make the um, people at the Gospel Coalition stop writing metaphors. <laughs> like, just you guys are not good at this. It's not your strong suit. No, no, suit. I thought it was Please brilliant. Stop. It's it's it's, <laughs> it was, it's, it's so great. good. It was so good. Uh, it, it made me want to go back to church and and <laughs> and see this for myself. <laughs> Oh man, yeah, the weird stuff that ends up. I missed out. out, out. You know, I saw none of this sexual (laughs) stuff happening at my church, and um, I think I I wasn't looking in the right places. So no, no, you missed it. So that was that was the best argument for complementarianism. Was um, what's the guy's name? Josh. Josh Josh Butler. Butler. Yeah. 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 Poor guy. And it's amazing because they really backed up Woody. They backed him up hard, those Gospel Coalition guys. Yeah. And so well, they should have had to put their stamp stamp on that for yes, this is amazing. Can, and then they all kind of he took the fall yeah. by himself. Oh, and yeah. all the people who thought it was superior wisdom, they're still they're still doing their yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. And this actually relates to what we're talking about, believe it or not, because <laughs> I when I when I read about that, I thought, yeah, no, that that makes that tracks with. I mean, it, it's in language that's much more explicit than what. But we have we had in church, but um, at least in my church. But mm. that's that was complementarianism at it, at its most extreme and and kind of sexy um, way of describing it. Because and the fact that they they turned on him is just you cowards. Because you know they all agree with that shit. They, oh yeah, absolutely. It, yeah, that, and they they've even posted Amazon reviews since then. Of course they have. Cowards. We kicked you out, but hey, we'll we'll write you a positive mm. review, mm. right? <laughs> oh man, oh, Rick, you sort of touched a bit on um, earlier the stuff that, like, you gave an example of how you didn't fit the mold of traits that were expected of you in terms of being Jesus, literally, like you know, and and leading mm-hmm. the family in devotionals. I'm curious a bit from both you and and Rick and Scott, if both of you want to answer, if there's was there any ways that you felt. You didn't fit the mold of the stereotype of, and I guess because we're we're all coming out of evangelical culture. I know Scott, you've been out for a very long time, but you know you you were surrounded by it in your environment when you were working at evangelical university and before that in church growing up. Um, was there ways that you sort of innately felt that you didn't fit what was expected in terms of society and manhood and evangelical culture and what they say being a man is is supposed to be. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, the short answer. Um, yeah. I, from from the moment we got married, we were we didn't know the term egalitarian, but that's sort of how we approached our relationship. And so both of us got flack for it when we would go to churches. You know, my wife Jerry would get you know that that microaggressiony kind of comments like oh I, I don't know how you could work you know as a woman of god and um and then you know i i would talk with other professors at at apu and they they would be talking about you know how they rule their household and shit like that and i would kind of like make fun of them to their faces um <laughs> usually they didn't know i was making fun of them but you know i changed diaper you know I, even even before while i was still a christian i i was changing the diapers i was being a very nurturing parent well my wife cuz my wife worked lo- much longer hours than i did so i was already you know doing the things that a lot of christian men would say is is women's work and so and we were kind of just like oh f all of you this is this is how we're doing it um so 
Yeah. Mm. It's amazing that nurturing is not on the list of things men are supposed oh, to be. Oh, they'll tell you not to be. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're not supposed to be, you know, according to some traditions, is it's contrary to God's design. Yeah. It's sort of horrific to think of that. Like, you know, I think of, I don't know, in my mind, a society where men are affectionate with other men, like with their sons, and I think of how, and nurturing with their daughters and sons, and think of how healthy that would be in society, and how much of that is missing because of these teachings that guys are not supposed to be nurturing. Um, and I just, I find it really sad. And it's, it's great that your kids got that from you and, and were able to see it modeled for them. Because I think sometimes boys might even be that kind of a boy where they are nurturing by nature and then they feel ashamed and like they can't do it because their dad didn't ever display that. And so they think they're abnormal for some reason. And at least you've set the groundwork where like your kids don't have to wonder if that's inappropriate for men to be nurturing. Like it's like, yeah, dad's nurturing. That's fine. How about you, Rick? Is there anything that pops in your head too with regard to like ways that you didn't fit? Yeah. So like I, uh, it, it was it was hard for me because I was in very entrepreneurial spaces. So, you know, church planting, we moved out to Denver to start this church. And, you know, we're starting it from the ground up. It's, it's a very entrepreneurial experience. And mm-hmm. and then um, when I moved back to Greenville, South Carolina, and realized that I wasn't going to get hired for a well-paying job, I knew my only chance to pay our bills was going to be to start my cleaning business again. And so here I am in my thirties in a, in I'm cleaning restrooms and floors and stuff. And I didn't fit because like a lot of the business community didn't really take me seriously because, Oh, you're just running a cleaning business. Anybody can clean a restroom. Anybody can mop a floor. And then on the other hand, even people who would hire me, like we got, we, we got along well, but there was always in, in the newer customers, especially there was this expectation that, well, a man doesn't clean as well as a woman does. Like somehow the the cleaning industry is a woman's space. And so Mm -hmm. I, I kind of didn't even fit in my career either in a sense. Mm -hmm. So I don't Mm -hmm. know. It was just really weird. Yeah. 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 Not fitting the dynamic of, Men, men who know how to clean. I mean, my household, <laughs> and when Nate's in my household, my son and Nate are the cleaners. <laughs> they are the two that like keep everything in shape. And the girls in my house are, the, we are the tornadoes. <laughs> we are yeah. the ones that are like, oh no, <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> um, yeah. And and I guess why I wanted to cover this and where you didn't fit is I, it's sort of frustrating to be in a society that does prescribe gender roles like this is what a woman's supposed to be this is what a man's supposed to be and i i guess selfishly i wanted to do this episode because i've been on the other side as a woman never feeling like i fit the woman role like i was put in ministry (laughs) in a complementarian church so everyone had issues with that like paying me to be on staff even if it was a youth pastor like you'll be youth chair not youth pastor so with no one gets too upset and then people just kept wanting to default to my ex who was my husband at the time and 
just struggling with the concept that the woman isn't the support role to the man who's the real leader. Um, that was surrounding me all the time. And I was never the cook. I was never good at cooking. I'm, I'm, I call myself Nate's sous chef because he does love to cook. And I appreciate people and men who cook. And I will come alongside and help you cut or do whatever you need. But like, don't ask me to lead the meal. Like, it's not happening if you guys want to eat. Um, so... I guess, and, and coming out of an Italian background where patriarchy was so standard and women were really expected to be the cooks, the cleaners, the everything like that, and kind of never feeling like I belonged. I, I've always, and I've met women in my shoes, and I've always been wondering, what about the guys? Because I know, like, in some ways, people admire the guys get the easier tasks in some ways. You know, you get to be the paid one, you get to come home at the end of the day, kick your feet up. You know, I know in, like, the complementarian circles, they're like, Women, when your husband gets home from a hard day of work, you should have a cold beer in hand, ready to greet him with a smile. Go put on some makeup before he arrives so he can feel like you. There are yeah. books with this stuff written in <laughs> yeah. sermons preached Literally. about this, right? Yep. Where like the men are really the king of the castle and the women, their job is to be like a servant. And I think and about it thinking, now, like, like as a stay at home dad, am I supposed to like shave? Like, what's the equivalent? You know? <laughs> Before your wife walks in? <laughs> yeah, like put on some, deodorant, some shave. On. Yeah. Like, shave brush my teeth. Yeah. yeah, you should shave your legs. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't think of that. Pour a glass of wine or make a cocktail. You yeah, know? yeah. Well, that's what that's what's funny is like a lot of the practical stuff too. When you become a stay at home dad, like especially if you're in the Christian spaces, and if you were to try to look for some practical Christian help, all the practical Christian help you'd find would be on how to be a biblical woman. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. there are no there are no resources for stay at home Christian dads. Yeah, you're not supposed to be a stay-at-home Christian dad. I had like, I guess one more anecdote because, oh, it frustrated me. So I was listening to a patriarchal leader in my old church and he was talking to the young women about women staying home with kids and how that's God or, God's order of things. And he he gave a scenario. He said, I had a guy friend who he did the stay-at-home dad thing. Uh, he lasted only for a couple of months and after that, he just couldn't do it. It was just too hard and too difficult. And he just it's because he's not wired that way. Uh, ladies, like men are not wired to stay home with kids. You know, it's so much easier for women to do this because God has made them designed to do this. And my guy friend, he couldn't cut it because that's not how God designed men. And I started thinking through this guy who was the leader who was talking, his wife had shared with me how when her kids were young, she almost burnt out, how she was dealing with depression, different things that she struggled with. Right. But her guy, her, his guy friend, you know, was found it hard after three months and, you know, he quit because, <laughs> you know, guys aren't wired that way. And I was thinking like, um, yeah, just that assumption that like, I mean, I think women get it who've stayed home on just how difficult it is. Um, but it's funny that a guy would imagine after doing it for three months that like, oh, it's hard for me, not because the job is hard to stay at home in any sort of way, but because I'm a man. That's yeah, why it's, it's hard. proof of complementarianism. <laughs> it's, it's the proof. Yeah. Maybe was, maybe no one's wired for this. <laughs> that's that's yeah. That is something that I seriously like that my hats come go off to you because I was a stay at home mom for a lot of years and you're stay at home dads, and I think I think no, like that's helpful. I thought that guy would have heard, hey, it's hard for the women to do this too. Like <laughs> everyone who chooses this, it's a, it's an underrated oh, job. They invented drugs just to help women in the 50s and 60s mm-hmm. <laughs> called Mother's Little Helper. Um, uh, Valium was, was yeah. invented for housewives. Um, yeah. Tells you something. <laughs> 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember when the one of the I think the last Bible study we were in, we had a discussion like someone's family friend, they were having trouble in their marriage because he was unemployed. She was working this like crazy. She was like a nurse or some some job where you just come home and you're just beat. But he, ref- even though he laid around watching TV all day, he refused to help with the kids. He refused to clean anything. He refused to cook anything, citing all his Bible verses. And gosh, it was having, a, it was causing strain in their marriage. <laughs> and, oh, and we, I wonder. we, we, our, <laughs> our Bible study of like 12 people just erupted into this big discussion about it. And I was just sitting there like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> what is wrong with, these people like what this is not a discussion Wait, no one said not a discussion yeah. <laughs> get your fucking ass off the couch and cook something man like help your poor like she's working f- you know like 50 60 hours a week and is expected to, and and oh and that was the issue he would yell at her because the house was messy and so like, it was just yeah. like, like bible verses at yeah. her leave Ooh. leave him <laughs> that was my advice oh, man. that was when, yeah. I, when the looks i got my wife and I got, Jerry and I got from the rest of the Bible study was part of our deconstruction. We we're like, ooh, yeah, we're not. Maybe we don't fit we're not in this. Contributing well, well to this. Um, <laughs> not, well, we're not contributing in the way that they want right. us to contribute. Right. Hi, this is Jocelyne du Québec au Canada, and you're listening to Full Mutuality. What is it you wanted me to reconcile myself to? I was born here almost 60 years ago. I'm not going to live another 60 years. You always told me it takes time. It's taken my father's time, my mother's time, my uncle's time, my brother's and my sister's time, my nieces and my nephew's time. How much time do you want for your progress? I hate you, naturally. And I hate black people. Things are going to get worse before they get better. What is presented to me as an American does not look like me. Because you're not allowed to be a black man in corporate America. You give us a hard time for being white, being American, and being in control. And when you live under a situation like that constantly, uh, and then you ask me you know, whether I approve of violence, I mean, that just doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, there's a lot of crazy stuff happening right now. And you know what? We need a space where we can debrief some of it and deconstruct. If you've been looking for a POC-centered podcast that engages with intersectionality, religion, critical race theory, and some hip-hop culture, then you need to check out Profane Faith. I'll be your host, Daniel Whitehodge, and we go in every other week. So check us out wherever you find your podcasts. Or check us out at whitehodgepodcasts.com to see what other platforms we're on. Cool? Aight. Peace. I always did like that story in the Bible with Mary and Martha where where the one who the woman who's in the Martha who's cooking and doing all the stereotypical stuff is upset at Mary for just sitting and listening to Jesus and not helping with the preparation and then and tells Jesus to set her straight. And Jesus does the opposite. And I was like, ooh, I like this Bible story. Didn't hear it very given very often. <laughs> and mm. and usually it was like trying to steer away from from kind of the direct message of that. But um yeah. Yeah. It, it's weird when you're in a culture that literally just misses the obvious that's right in front of them. Mm. Thinking of that that group that you're in, Scott, in the comments and 
Yeah, I'm, and I wanted to, to I guess, jump into this. Um, the dumbest comments that you've heard about this directed at you specifically, or maybe, I mean, for that one was in general, Scott, <laughs> but have you had any directed at you, Scott, where someone just said something and you were like, wow? Uh, not, not really, like, directly at me. Mostly it's in conversation, it's, and it's usually kind of like, you know, like I mentioned, like a microaggression against my wife and I, and it, and it generally only comes from older. Oh, no, I take that back. It's people our age too. <laughs> um, hmm. um, yeah, it's and it's mostly directed at Jerry, the mom, who you know. Someone once said at the last church we were at, you know, how do you feel about you know other people raising your children? Don't you want to be the one raising your children? And she was like, my husband's raising the other person raising, and then they go to preschool for a couple hours for socialization, like. You know, yeah. it doesn't make any sense what what you're saying. Um, so yeah, it, yeah, I can't think of anything like directly at me. Um, like I said, if if anyone's going to be criticized, it's going to be the woman, because um, because mm. America, because because the world. Yeah, women do take a lot of the heat. I know, I know you, Rick. Um, <laughs> you have been in another scenario, but I'm thinking part of it is you are a writer who mm -hmm. takes aim at some really bad patriarchal dudes out there who say really horrible things and you have taken some on. Um, so I'm going to guess some of your pushback that's been aimed at you as a so man. And I have this thing where like the, the two men that I, I get a lot of angry feedback like this about is when I write about Vody Bauckham and John MacArthur. And anytime I put out an article about those two guys, because like the Vody Bauckham article, he was talking about, um, like he was, he was promoting violence against children and, you know, your children are vipers and diapers. And he was saying how your daughters wow. need to, mm -hmm. your daughters need to serve the, the dad and live with him, uh, as adults until they're married and then they can mm -hmm. serve their husband. And so like, I'm calling this guy out, especially because he was on the verge of, you know, he's being nominated for power in the Southern Baptist convention. And so um, but then you get, you know, the responses like this audio. Before we get into this, I want to show you who actually wrote this, uh, this article. This guy's name is Rick Pidcock. He is a stay-at-home father of five children and produces music under the artist name Provoke Wonder. So he's a stay-at-home father. Basically, this man's a housewife, okay? <laughs> He stays at home and writes articles about Vody Bauckham while he's sitting in the bathtub with his essential oils and his glass of wine. And uh, <laughs> while his wife is probably a doctor in an ER somewhere because a woman will have to be highly educated to marry somebody this stupid. And uh, that's exactly right. This is insanity, what this man believes. Um, I... I <laughs> I'm just going to say it. Uh, Rick, you're a piece of work, bro. You're a piece of trash is what you are. You need to get saved because there is no way that the Holy Spirit did. You know, if he if the Holy Spirit lived in your heart and you're writing this stuff and you're attacking things like, you know, wives submit to your husbands and daughters relationship with their father and you shamelessly. Attack. Rick, you're you're dying and going to hell, man. You need to get saved. This is pathetic. You're a loser, bro. People telling me stuff like "make me a sandwich," um, or you know, "you effeminate little weirdo." They they like to make fun of me for having long hair. They tap into that, you know, a good bit. 
and um, just look at him and someone else says gross, you know, it's like you're getting uh, you're getting treated the way women do in terms of the attacks on your appearance in terms of yeah. like that stuff. I usually don't see men doing to other men is kind of going at them for their looks as much in, in the public, like when they're debating or they're trying to sound smart and take someone down. They usually don't resort to that. But like they'll do that. Towards but women, notice, like it's a political notice how the insults that are directed at you are um, likening you to a woman or what they think yeah. a woman should be right They're Like as if, as if it's somehow um, degrading to be a woman. So mm -hmm. the insult yeah. that they use is to basically call you a woman. <laughs> yeah. And then, and if you, if you notice my bio and on Baptist news, it starts off with that. I'm a stay at home dad. Mm -hmm. And I, I wanted that there on purpose as like a way to bait them to show their true yeah. colors because it gets them every time <laughs> they all start talking at me and like, you know, talking about me sitting around in the bathtub all day, sipping my wine and all this stuff. And it's like, you're literally telling us what you think about women. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. My favorite insult that he lobbed at you was the one about how, um, you know, the only kind of woman who like guys like you are educated women. <laughs> and I was just like, what? Ooh, sick burn. burn. <laughs> like, so, that was one of the biggest self burns that I've seen. I'm like, okay, so women who like your type have to be uneducated is what you're saying. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense why they tell their daughters not to go to college and discourage them from education if the kind of women that like their type you know, have no education, have no other ways of analyzing things or don't have the tools. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Jeez. I mean, yeah. So Vadi Bakum, I have a quick little anecdote. Um, when I was a children's pastor, um, there were some guys, uh, single guys specifically, um, unmarried, no kids, who decided that um, what I was doing with our children's program was not in line with uh, the truth of the gospel. And so they pointed me to Vadi Bakum and told me, like, this is how a children's ministry should be run. And I'm like, and, and essentially Vadi Bakum's idea is that there should be no children's ministry separate from, from the, the church, that the children should all sit with their parents. Um, I was running a children's ministry with... At the time, uh, nearly 300 kids. I'm sure 300 kids from birth through fifth grade sitting in this um, service where um, they also, it was one of those churches that really liked to crank the volume. Uh, they, it was the uh, Mark Driscoll style church. So um, they had the, you know, the post grunge rock bands, you know, playing at un, uh, probably unsafe decibels. So I'm sure that's great. I'm sure every parent in the church would love to have their kids sitting in, in a church Sorry, service. Did you say the guy who came to confront you had no kids? Had no kids. Yeah. Had no course. kids. But he's going to tell you how the children's ministry should be run. Yeah. With you giving up your job. Right. Yeah. Not, not to mention the fact that, that my job is to run a program that, uh, that is separate from the, the, the adult service. Um, but 
Yeah, so I I have no uh, no no love for Vadi Bakum. Not to mention the the stuff that since those years I have now learned and gained perspective on about the way that he um, like the kind of stuff that he espouses as far as raising your children. Um, yeah, I don't yeah. even know who that is. So I yeah, feel lucky. you don't want to know who that is. <laughs> I know who John Rick MacArthur has, is. Rick has. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're kind of in the same vein, but Rick has some good articles uh, dealing with the Vaudi stuff, too. And uh, yeah, I guess that's why they come at you. Um, mm. I wanted to, I guess, turn this back into to you guys and what you have been doing as stay at home dads. And I'm wondering, you know, has there been has there been anything about what you're doing as a stay at home dad that surprised you in taking the dive into that? Is Have you developed any new skills since being a stay at home dad? Um favorite parts of it least least favorite parts of being a stay-at-home dad i think for me the thing that has surprised me the most has been the constant talking and requests from the kids because like when i was in the cleaning business i could put my headphones on and tune everything out and listen to all kinds of stuff whatever i want and you can't really do that when you've got five kids under the age of 12 running around the house and um (laughs) Yeah, so that, that's that's probably one of the most surprising things for me. Another thing was like just how much Ruth Ellen did before, like when I was working full time, because like she had a whole system down on because she'd been doing it for fifteen years or so, um, ten years. I don't know. Um, and, but like for me, I'm a rookie now. And so I'm very inexperienced. And then I'd have these like light bulb moments because. You know, when you're the stay-at-home dad, the people you're hanging out with are other women at kid gatherings and stuff um, because there aren't that many other stay-at-home dads around. And and so, like, I would have these light bulb moments of something they would say, like, oh, yeah, you could do this. And then she would tell them, be like, oh, I, I did that too. And I just didn't even <laughs> recognize that she had done that, you know? So those are some of the surprises. Hmm. Be like, Ruth, you need to give me your notes yeah. on how to do this. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yes, going off of the the culture of like so like when you when you drop off your kids at school, there's always you know it's usually moms. And lately, there've been more dads um, later, but it's it's usually a big group of moms, and they think it's they, well they have varying opinions as to the dads who are also dropping off. Some of the moms are cool and they want to you know oh come have coffee with us we're gonna go have brunch and so. I tried to do the, the parent thing. I just don't get along with parents. So I <laughs> I don't want to go somewhere and drink coffee and listen to everybody take turns bragging about their kids, you know, like, so <laughs> I would go and kind of make fun of my kids and that, that didn't fit. <laughs> yeah. I'm not the tiger dad. I'm like, oh, good. You got to school today and uh, wiped your nose. Awesome. Um, Congratulations. Yeah. Good job. Good job. <laughs> Uh, so I, I think the things that surprised me were that I could like flourish, um, as my kids got older, like Rick, Rick's in, Rick's in a tough spot cause he's got a wide range of kids and a lot of them are young, I assume. And that's rough. I mean, you can't, not only can you not put your headphones on, like you, you don't have a second to, well, okay. Everything can go to hell in a second. <laughs> it's, it's just... <laughs> At any given second, this chaos can erupt when, when you've got, you know, kids under, you know, five or six. And um, 
yeah, so that that's rough. That's those those are those are tough days. As the kids get older, um, I really enjoy. I found that I looked forward to uh, driving him to school because that's you know fifteen twenty minutes of just talking or listening to NPR and talking about the world and um, and then picking him up and taking him home and um, it's just those little in between moments where you can connect that I feel really lucky because not a lot of dads can say that they had that experience. And um, my kids, I have two of my kids are adults now and um, we're still close. We still, um, my son, my, my oldest son is 23 and he, he'll text me for my thoughts on something or a decision he has to make. And it's like, that's cool. Cause I, I don't have that relationship with my parents. <laughs> uh, their, their complimentarian asses I found completely useless by the time I was like 12 <laughs> for any kind of guidance for life. And so um, the fact that, that I can be kind of a part of their lives is, was really cool to, cause I didn't, cause when, like when you're in the middle of it all, it just, it just seems like this endless monotony of things you got to do at any given moment, clean this, make this, take them here, you know, do it's just, a list of to-do things. And I can only imagine, Rick, your, your to-do list on any given day must be, mm. you know, huge. Um, mm. And so when you're in the middle of it, it, it's really easy to lose yourself. And Gail, you can relate to this. You have several children yourself. And um, But having, being able to find the perspective and find the in-between moments of sort of sublime beauty to, to, to make, help you make it through the day is is huge because when you're in it man just just going to the bathroom and having like 30 seconds to take a breath is is like a vacation you know it um yeah lock yourself in that yeah. bathroom and lock it yeah. well <laughs> oh man like I when they're real little like doors. it'll be me holding the kids yeah two, oh so you need to <laughs> double yeah, door. yeah. The, the bathroom <laughs> in the bedroom bedroom door shuts uh, bathroom door shuts Mm. Oh yeah, and then you can put stuff against it that that's heavier than the children. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I used to, but by the time Jerry would get home, I'd be holding t my two kids at the front door, just on mom's home. <laughs> Reinforcements. <laughs> <laughs> Hurry up and get out of the car. <laughs> um, I mean, I yeah, I feel you on that one. I have. I only had two kids. I was telling Nate if we have one in the future. We're doing one unless I end up with multiple births, which I'll be freaked out. But like when you have one, you can outnumber them. And that makes life easy, really easy. When I had just one, it was really easy. But as soon as you have two and you're one parent at home, you are outnumbered. And I hear you. Reinforcement is home. Just the idea that you get some numbers back headed in your direction. I think when you were mentioning, Scott, how overwhelming it could be, um, Rick, I think I read the Facebook status of yours that made me laugh because it was so relatable. I My hat goes off to anyone who has more than two. I know you have three, Scott. And, and for you, Rick, with five, I can't even fathom. But I remember you wrote, here is like my glamorous job of being a writer at home. And you started describing... Mm -hmm what a day just with five kids looks like in your household and how what Scott said, just on a dime, chaos just erupts. And like, you just kind of painted the scenario of, of the life of a stay at home dad. And I think it's kind of refreshing to see that. And, and I don't know, maybe women have been so conditioned um, 
to be competitive and to try and present themselves as perfect moms, because there's a lot of pressure on women to do that, that often we don't want to tell our disaster stories. <laughs> but when women do it, it's, it's like it's helpful to all of us. But I remember reading you talking so candidly about, you know, what a normal <laughs> day in their household looks like and how unglamorous it could get. And and I laughed because I was like, yeah, all of the stay at home moms definitely be like, yep, <laughs> we hear you. Yeah. We've been we've been through that. And it's yeah. There's like, yep. so, so there's like a, a lot of my writing tends to be more liberation oriented, hmm. but a lot of my, the things I personally resonate with are more contemplative. And so I read a lot of like Henry Nowen with reaching out mm-hmm. and he, uh, he has this thing where he talks about seeing interruptions as opportunities to be present. And it sounds really good when you're reading a contemplative book. <laughs> but when you're in the middle of writing an article and you're in the middle of a train of thought and then there's like, you know, a fight over something dumb or a milk spill or somebody needs you to wipe their butt. And then it's like, but I was present in my train of thought. <laughs> yeah. And now I've got to be present in this and like... Yeah, so so sounds great, but then you know the the flow is quite difficult at times. Your train of thought gets interrupted by potty training, so it's a different. Yeah, so I tell myself, I tell myself like this is a feature of my writing. Like you know, it wouldn't be what it is if I didn't constantly get interrupted. But I, I still look forward to the day when they're all in school and I don't get interrupted. Yep. Mm. Well, I'm happy for you that, you know, transition is coming for you. And uh, it does it does get I feel like if there's like a, any parenting advice I have for people with really younger ones, it's, it gets it does get easier and it gets better and hang in there. It does get better because they're that when you're in the trenches, it really feels like that it feels like yeah. never ending. And yeah, like you said, Scott, monotonous and can feel very overwhelming. Yeah. Um, mm. I I had one last thing jotted down. I don't know uh, if if you'll find this a little bit of a challenging question or if you'd be open to to sharing on it or not. But has there been any toxic masculinity traits? Um, you know, and you could go as far back as when you know back before you started deconstructing or before you know before whatever took you out of complementarianism. Anything in yourself you noticed you picked up along the way that wasn't healthy as a guy um, that you tried to adhere to, something that you let go of, uh, or maybe things that you're currently still working on in yourself as a guy, um, just undoing the messages of society on what manhood looks like. And especially those of us who come out of evangelicalism, there's a lot of opinions on what manhood looks like that are quite harmful. So if you had any of your own personal journey that you want to share on anything that you've had to take apart or reevaluate that you want to share. I think like, I think we had a very common story where a lot of complementarian marriages function as egalitarians because that's just what healthy humanity looks like. And, and so for us, like we had this theoretical complementarian marriage and I was never overtly abusive, like, give me my drink now or give me my dinner now. Like, I was never that kind of a guy, you know. Um, but I did carry a lot of guilt for not taking charge and being the leader, but the stereotypical leader that they thought you should have and, like, or you should be as a guy. And I think that towards the, like, as I began deconstructing and, 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 
as the years started to pile up, one of my biggest frustrations was that I was always, whenever we would have a disagreement, she was always right. And I knew it. And it's like, here I am as this complimentarian man, and I'm supposed to be the leader. I'm supposed to be the one discipling her and leading her and helping her figure things out of God's wisdom and all the stuff. And yet, anytime there was a disagreement, she was always end up being right. And, and I just had this longing to be right, despite knowing that usually I'm not. And there's this, there was, it was like the final straw. I'd never given voice to it. But there was one time where I was just, I just had it. And I said, don't you ever, something like, don't you ever follow me? Like, I'm the man. I'm supposed to be the leader. And as soon as I just gave voice to that frustration, I realized how silly it sounded. And it was like that tower just fell. It was great that it mm. came out of your mouth so you could evaluate like a, a held in belief that you needed kind of to come out into the light to look at. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, because I married Jerry, there was never going to be an opportunity for me to be toxically masculine. <laughs> um, <laughs> when we were still in college, I remember we we visited a church. Oh, we were just we just moved up to San Francisco for grad school. And we visited this church, and the pastor welcomed everybody, and then he said, "And now, will the men come forward with the offering plates?" And it just pissed her off. She just stood up and walked out. And I was still sitting there. And I was like, oh, I'm like a good Asian boy. I, I don't want to like get up in the middle of the service and storm out. But, oh, <laughs> well, I guess I'm leaving too. So <laughs> I followed her out. And it was just like, yeah, okay. that's We should have walked out because that shit's lame. And so um, any, any patriarchy remnants in my head are, have been mostly theoretical. Like, you know, I have a daughter. And everyone's like, oh, when you have a daughter, you're going to, you know, you wait till she starts dating or wait till she hits puberty and all this stuff. And I'm just like, I've just made sure I checked myself, you know, and mm. to say, I want her to, to have a, a fulfilling life and, and, and romantic partners that, that are, are good that add to her life. And so, no, I don't want to, um, you know, be that dad with the shotgun and, you know, threatening the, the boy and all this stuff. Um, you know, when she first, she got her first boyfriend, you know, it was just, I felt that instinct, you know, to, to be like, Hey, you know, mm. <laughs> Puff up your chest. Mm, yeah. Me, I'm dad, Scott. me, man, <laughs> dad, you don't mess with daughter. When and It helps though, that my daughter is the strongest of all her kids. And I kind of always knew that anyone she dates, I would have to probably pull aside and say, uh, you need to stand up for yourself and not let her <laughs> completely dominate everything. So um, that's that's my advice to you. Um, wow. Hmm. That's that's great. That's a beautiful. And I, I mean, I have I have all the respect for men who like educated and strong women. Like, I think, you know, I think of the fragile masculinity that can't handle a woman who has knowledge of her own. Or who doesn't, you know, who who has an opinion or um, and and thank you both for sharing. Like uh, Rick, you're just the, the humility to actually say, yeah, I hated that she was always right, and I didn't. I just thought I was supposed to be the one that she could follow sometimes. <laughs> but um, 
It 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 takes a man who's secured himself uh, to stay home with kids and not not look down at it to realize that what women have been doing for centuries is strong. It is not a um, an inferior role. It's been an unappreciated role. It's been an undervalued role, but it's actually freaking hard. And you two have have stepped in that. So it takes a lot, um, especially with the way it's undervalued. And yeah, to be able to be like, I don't need to. Uh, like I can handle if my wife is right. I'll like to even just say that out loud. My wife's right all the time. Or, <laughs> Scott, I don't have a choice with toxic masculinity. My wife's going to put me in my place real quick if need be. Like <laughs> she's going to take lead where she needs to and not put up with the bullshit. Um, not all guys can handle that. I think talking with women, I've heard a lot of women who are strong personalities say that they were afraid they could never attract a man. Uh, I was listening to someone talk about how she would play dumb yeah. in order to to try and make a and pretend she needed help sometimes when she didn't just like but it didn't really work but it, it was more just to help men around her to feel like she could be appealing yeah. to men that way mm. um and and it's sad that a lot of women feel like they need to shrink back their strengths their intelligence their character their wisdom in order for a man to appreciate them so when i when, and I, I know a lot of guys who can't handle that so when i meet men who yeah. are not insecure in that way or who can overcome it in order to be like yeah I actually appreciate my wife is smart and she has important things to say and I don't need to be smarter than her yeah it's not even just in, um, in Christian circles when my wife was in high school she was an honor student and but she hung out with the party crowd but she she pretended that she was dumb she she pretended to be the sort of ditzy and um she hid her report cards from our friends and um so when we were friends in college before we were dating and the first time we got into a big old argument um i told her why why do you act dumb you're not dumb and she's like i don't do you know she she was she was very defensive and i was like you are not this person you're you're putting portraying yourself as you know you're clearly highly intelligent smarter than everyone else in the room just go with it you know and so um yeah so even before we were dating i was like I was like digging my own patriarchal grave. So, <laughs> there was no, uh, there was no way I was going to be in a relationship with someone who, who, uh, who was who who, who was complementarian. Yeah. Mm. And you didn't want a woman who was going to shrink herself down in order to try and make other people feel secure. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Cool stuff. Well, I'm I'm thankful for you guys for for coming on for chatting with us. Uh, any. Any domestic house tips for, for the husbands out there who are staying home with kids or wives who are listening, uh, maybe listening to this podcast as they're folding laundry? And have you, do you have any, any hacks? Any YouTube. <laughs> Scott was saying. <laughs> you can learn everything on YouTube. Uh, I've YouTube's fixed things. Great. I've learned to cook <laughs> things. Um, I've learned to clean things, build things that need are needed around the house. Uh, YouTube is your friend. Mm-hmm. It is. I found some great recipes on YouTube. Right? <laughs> and don't be afraid to occasionally pay for a laundry service. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Those things pile up, especially when you have five kids. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you guys so much. I appreciate appreciate this. Yeah, thanks appreciate for talking this about it. This is fun. Rick, uh, yeah, I'll, thank we'll, you guys. We'll, have, we'll exchange some, uh, some cleaning tips and some recipes later. <laughs> Sounds good. I look forward to it. <laughs> that sounds great. 
and um, we'll put all of your uh, your guys' links in the show notes. So if anybody, and if any of you listening want to uh, follow Rick and or Scott online, you can go ahead and hit up the show notes for that. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Full Mutuality Podcast. We're so glad you decided to join us today. If you haven't already, please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, and pretty much every other podcast app. Just search for Full Mutuality on your app of choice or visit our website, fullmutuality.com, for links to all of the apps that you can subscribe to us on. And if you enjoyed what you've heard, we'd love it if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on our website. A quick review is one of the best ways you can support us. Speaking of support, you can also partner with us on Patreon. For just $5 US a month, you'll be helping us produce this podcast and you'll get access to other content such as exclusive episodes, access to occasional live streamed recording sessions, and more. Just head over to patreon.com slash fullmutuality to sign up. Thanks again for hanging out with us today and we'll see you on the next episode of the Full Mutuality Podcast. This is a Dauntless Media Collective podcast. Visit dauntless.fm for more content.